Hello and welcome to the Great Movie Showdown. Today, we pit Steve Jobs versus The Social Network to find out which is the better Sorkin film. With me today are William Goodnow, Matt Smith, and Blake Smith. No hey, I'm Matt Smith. <laughs> I'm Will, and yes, as Blake quietly bounced into his microphone, <laughs> no relation between Matt Smith and Blake Smith. No relation. Besides our, besides our marriage. Yes. Besides that, but even in Florida, where incestuous marriage is probably legal, that's not the case here between <laughs> Matt and I. <laughs> what are we doing today, Zach? So today, as I just said, we are facing Steve Jobs, one of the three Steve Jobs-based movies versus The Social Network. One of the, I believe, two movies about Facebook? I don't even know. Actually, if you count Pirates of Silicon Valley, there are four movies that have Steve Jobs as a central part. Oh, gosh. Okay. And if you count Catfish, there are three movies about Facebook. There you go. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. So um, with us today, we've got a we've got a very special guest, Blake Smith, who Hello. I've done. We, we've all known for a long time. Blake has been involved in one of the short films I did a while back and where he played Jesus. Was so that was a fun. lot of fun. Was oh, so my good. gosh. Yeah. Blake Smith. <laughs> yeah, basically. It was great. He played a bureaucratic Jesus. Anyway, uh, so let's get back to the show. Um, Matt, you want to you want to kind of set us up for what we're going to roll down today? Yeah, um, so we got two movies. They're both uh, Aaron Sorkin scripts. And uh, I guess let's just get started on one of them. Which ones do you guys want to do first? Before before we do that, I just want to say, as far as we're going, like uh, they're both Aaron Sorkin scripts, I want to point out a fun, weird thing. When I, was, I was looking into them, the production of them. Apparently, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs was originally slated to be directed by David Fincher. That's right. Thor- yeah. Oh. They were attached at the beginning. He dropped out after contract disputes, and a little while later, Danny Boyle came on. But this was more or less going to be kind of this spiritual sequel to uh, Social Network, it seems like. Yeah, really? really? Yeah, that was That's a big really interesting. Danny Boyle came on because people didn't know if Danny Boyle's directorial style would mesh well with Aaron Sorkin's kind of rapid-fire dialogue. It meshes so well. it is no it really is because people forget i don't know why people thought that even at the time i was saying was going have they not seen like slumdog millionaire or train spotting danny boyle is like the most like adhd fucking director it meshes so perfectly with aaron sorkin's rapid speed dialogue not even that but i feel like danny boyle was so perfect for it because of the presentation quite literally when you're walking backstage the way he projects certain lines of dialogue or what they're going to do onto either the floor, a wall, the fucking yes. ceiling. Like, and it's so well done. And I feel like only Danny Boyle could have brought that flavor to Steve Agreed. Jobs. Made it that good to me. Like, I, this just personally, it's, and not to mention his big um, standoffish sequence that happens like near the end of the second showing when he's going to do that next box thing. And he has the mm-hmm. big showdown with um, um, Jeff Daniels. Who played uh, the the then CEO? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it is such a great sequence. And the editing, the way he flashes back to um, when uh, you know what I'm talking about when Jeff Daniels has that long. It's like, and I was taking a flight to Shanghai, yeah. and then I had to stop, and I had to leave, I had to go back. And he's like, "What do you say? It's my luggage is somewhere yeah, in China." It's still there. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And the editing is so fucking good. You're like, oh, <laughs> I do, man. I love it. I did. I, it, I it is perfect. But, um, I remember, I remember back in the day, like when I first saw that movie back in 2015, like a lot of people were saying that it was like an action movie where like the dialogue was a weapon. Yeah, just, like, going it's, back it's funny you mention that. Oh, sorry. Um, again, I was reading production stuff, and the editor, whose name unfortunately I don't have up here, I don't remember, said that he planned uh, all the like the big kind of like dialogue scenes as um, like fight scenes. He approached them like to cut around it, all this heavy dialogue, to cut back to other things that he approached it the way you would, sort of like an action or That's a battle kind of way to keep that energy up, which yeah. I found brilliant. I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought to approach it that way, so. Yeah. Um, what can we say that hasn't been said about Aaron Sorkin, though? I mean, like, his type of dialogue, I feel like he's very... 
I mean, it's almost like when we talk about Quentin Tarantino movies, we recognize it via the dialogue, not just yeah, the direct it, It's so idiosyncratic, mm-hmm. but it, it's in a way that can appeal to such a wide audience. So it's not somebody like David Lynch uh, yeah. or uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, where the dialogue <laughs> is very, very weird or stilted or idiosyncratic almost to a fault with people like um, uh, uh, Sorkin, with people like Tarantino. It's, you know exactly who wrote it. And you can still just totally like. Get well, you know, out like, it. <laughs> like the way I, way I describe it when I'm out with, like, say, like I'm talking with my sister or like I'm talking with family members after watching a movie and stuff like that. Usually, the way I say it is like Quentin Tarantino and Aaron Sorkin write characters, like their dialogue, how we all wish we could talk. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you right. I mean, it's it's it really is. It's that very cinematic language, quite literally, like the way they're talking. That language is how we all wish we could talk. We yeah. wish we said shit that cool. You know no what ma- I mean? No matter how dumb or like awkward you are in real life, if you find yourself somehow in a story that Aaron Sorkin is adapting, you will become super clever. Super cool. (laughs) Able to talk to anybody. Every thought will come to your head at the second. And the movies, they're better for it. Like, that's just, it's such a great, it's a jet propulsion of just dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Steve Jobs, uh, we're going to, I mean, it seems like we're just ready to talk about that one first. So I will go ahead and say, um, Michael Fassbender looks nothing like Steve Jobs. (laughs) (laughs) No. And it helped. We need Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, but it helps the movie in the way that you just forget that this is a, um, you know, like trying to be strict on the nose kind of adaptation or Mm -hmm. representation of the actual Steve Jobs. You can tell that this is not a biopic in the traditional sense, mainly in its structure. That three-act structure is so well done, and it feels like I was – I was telling Zach before we started recording, I was like, it feels so much like a stage play, the way it's even Mm -hmm. set up. You know what I mean? It flows from one act to the other, and it – there's almost like no structural flaws to it. It's not even like remotely close to a house of cards. You can pick anything apart. You could literally flip flop if you want. You can make the ending, the beginning, you could make the middle of the beginning, you could flip them around. And it still to me would be so well crafted. Because I mean, it, it more or less, it lives within its own like framing device. Like it, it feels wrong. Maybe it is wrong to even call it a framing device, but it, you know, comparing the two for a minute, you have Steve Jobs or you have it based around from the beginning. You know, if you read anything about it, you know that it's these, three connected but separated by years stories and you just get you know whatever 30 minutes within each of these ongoing things and then separated through that are these little you know dalliances of flashbacks to expand upon whatever's being talked about whereas social network is the very opposite you have the framing device of the two different court cases that you get you know a combined 15 20 minutes out of and the rest of the movie is told in you know, flashbacks and quotations. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And then Aaron Sorkin does a really good job across both of these movies of like messing with your perception of what the truth might have been Mm -hmm. because Steve Jobs, they even address it. Someone says, what is it? um, They say like how Steve remembers shit incorrectly. And he has this great scene at the end of the movie with, um, it it was the Times Magazine. Right. And like, she, you know, gut punches him with like, that's not how that went. That's not what that article was about. You know that. And it wasn't that. And like, it shatters his psyche. And before he has a big, you know, emotional conversation with his daughter, and it was so well done. And then you think back to like, he kind of goes in a darker direction with the social network with, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting everybody's names, but you know, whatever guy who Mark Zuckerberg and like how he's such an asshole and how he remembers things and how he wants to connect. And obviously mm-hmm. we can't like in a normal any kind of normal scenario, I mean, literally the opening of the movie when he's having the conversation with Rooney Mara's character, you could just tell he is not good at this like whole social interaction thing. Like he doesn't operate within our spectrum. He's doing something else. His mind is already gone while you're still on A. He's already past Z. He's actually rounding fucking D and E again. Like he's already through the alphabet and going through it one more time. Because that's just, he has, I don't know, he's, he's weird like that. And his character's so well established. And whereas with Steve Jobs, I feel like the pacing is not so much that he's circling people. He doesn't think he's the smartest person in the room. He's just the most dominant person in the room. Like when he has a big, wonderful um, set piece with Waz, um, when they're at, what is it, the, the orchestra set up? And, you know, Waz confronts him. He's like, look, what do you do? And he's like, you play the tuba. You know, I'm the guy. I, I do the orchestra. And it's like, but who put him there? Well, he put himself there. He considers himself this great 
orchestrator, you know what I mean, of, of geniuses in a room, and he knows what he's doing. He just steps in, and he's the guy. Right, and or it, it, he thinks he's the guy. He, he believes himself to be this messianic artist. That's why he's always comparing himself to Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell yeah. and the like. Uh, it, it's, it's so, I had to scroll to find this. I, I wrote notes, but you're on this. Um, there's a great scene. I think it's in the third act. He's talking to um, Andy Hertzfeldt and they're in an argument oh. over his daughter. And Andy goes, people are, or no, Steve says, sorry, people are attracted to people with talent. And some people find that threatening as like a way against like, Andy, you put yourself Jeez. on my coattails because you think I'm so great and you're threatened by that. But it's this great irony because that is Steve. He surrounds himself with the, I hope nobody gets upset with this, but like the truly talented individuals, the Steve Wozniak, the Andy Hertzfeldt, all the people that are the actual coders, the actual geniuses that are building these boxes. Right. He surrounds himself with them and berates and yells at them and forces them to do everything that he can't do to execute what at the end of the day is a marketing and advertising position that he has like, built for himself that he built a cult of personality around. I, I just want to say something real quick. I, I think there's like a scene and I think he does this like throughout the movie, but this is like the scene I remember where like uh, Wozniak, he has like basically like a smart looking watch, like yeah. like an Apple watch. Oh in yeah. The 80s. Yeah. Like, it's, like, very, like, good and technical. And then Steve Jobs says something like, okay, turn it off. Or, like... Oh, it was, right, was uh, asking to change the time. Yeah, yeah. my plane just landed, change the time. And then he, like, pulls out a screwdriver, does that. And then he does, like, myth. I think he was, like, setting up a bomb or something like that. Right. I think like. that was, like, a very good... Like, it just shows, like, all the smart stuff that all the other people come up with. Like, Steve Jobs translates it to the public. That's so here, yeah. I think it's the perfect time out of that. We Go can ahead. make the comparison of uh, social network and Steve Jobs because that's more or less in not personality wise, but in this instance, Mark Zuckerberg would almost be the Steve Wozniak type here. He knows all the code. He can build this website and do whatever. He can't really talk to people. He can't work with people very well because he's so off-putting because he is so concerned only with himself uh right. steve jobs would if you wanted to switch to the other movie would be somewhat of the eduardo savine type words i i have a way I, you have this great product i can fucking make it money i can talk take it to people i can get people on board with this so it's this ironic thing where in one movie you have the crazy megalomaniac advertising guy yelling at all of the uh coders in the other movie you have the brilliant coder who's just screwing over his um you know advertising business savvy guy and in both movies both of them uh waz and eduardo are painted so sympathetically doing so much they can to try and help this terrible crazy person they're associated with in steve jobs thankfully waz gives that up halfway through and starts holding his feet to the fire like everybody else but you know in the in the first section and early on the second section Waz is going out of his way to try and be as nice to Steve as he can, taking every you know hit on the chin and is like, I just want you to acknowledge the Apple II team, and he won't do it. In social network, Eduardo is just throwing money at Mark and is just trying to talk to him and does everything he can. And at the end of the day, Mark doesn't give a shit and throws him off the ship. I just so. want to make a point real quick about yeah. that. Yeah, like it seems with like the Steve Wozniak thing, it's just basically like like a sense of pride. Like he, he wants to be recognized by Steve Jobs. Like yeah. there's really no like money thing. There's no money. It's, it's pride it. and it's, it's justice because it is uh, the truth, at, at least from his perspective. He no, put all a, this time and work and everybody else did too. And Steve is taking all of the credit for it. Right. I, well, I think we could say that like what Steve Jobs, it's just basically like, I don't want this product to be associated with losers. But because he didn't he, have anything with its development that's the thing apple II, he didn't really have a hand in personally designing it it was mostly was and that's the thing that i was going to touch on between zuckerberg and jobs is this at least the movies and aaron sorgan does a good job of showing this singular minded obsession with what will make their brand and their product the best it can be and that's the thing is blake you were saying like how zuckerberg is kind of detached and you know like the difference in personality like one mm-hmm. is very charismatic. The other one, not so much. He's more like receded yeah. into himself. But the thing is, both of them will use anyone and everything. Absolutely. To get 
what they want out of their head into the actual physical realm where people will enjoy it. And that's the thing that like you find out by the end that Zuckerberg has single-mindedly used everyone, including Sean Parker for Napster. Like he even, they insinuate that he set him up or at least, you know, like really help him out very much because he needed Sean Parker at the time. He needed his connections, he needed his money. And once he got all that, then he said, well, fuck off. All right, whatever, man, you can do whatever you want. And that's the thing. That's because he was doing drugs with underage girls. Well, absolutely. But still the point is that he eschewed Eduardo Savrin, um, what is the actor's name? I'm forgetting he played Spider-Man. Uh, Andrew Lincoln. Andrew Garfield. Andrew, Andrew, yeah. Garfield. Andrew Lincoln. Andrew Lincoln is a uh, walking dead guy. Yeah. Literally, he, literally English, sure. he literally sacrificed his, his friendship with him. He's my only friend. Well, yeah. Okay, no, no, no. I, okay, this is a perfect time. We can get into this right now if you guys want to. Eduardo says he was his only friend. Yep. How much was Mark actually friends with Eduardo? Like... And we definitely see it now in hindsight where Facebook has gone and what has gone to become that Mark Zuckerberg is is not going to go as far as to say necessarily psychopathic, but definitely narcissistic uh, to a fault where there's this complete obsession with what he wants, how he wants to do it. And will, like you were saying, uh, just like Steve would do, use anybody at your disposal to full capacity until they stop providing for you and then shuck them to the side. And that's exactly what he would do is what both of them, and this is the one, if there is, I don't want to call it a fatal flaw, because I don't think it screws up the entire, either movie, but both movies at the end have this absolvement sentiment to it. You have the end of a social network where you have Rashida Jones going, Mark, you're not an asshole, but you try so hard to be. At the end of um, Steve Jobs, he makes up with his daughter, and somebody says something very similar that I had written down, but I can't find it now, but it was incredibly similar to that. Oh, why, why, uh, somebody asked Steve Jobs, why do you want people to dislike you? So there's a sense in the writing of both films that these guys aren't bad guys at their core. They just struggle with person-to-person interaction, and so they have the defense mechanism being a dick. And I think that's a bit of a cop-out. I don't think it's fair. I think when you look at the lives of these two men what they went on to do and build and how they do it, you do see they're assholes. What Rooney Mara says in the beginning of the social network is truer than what Rashida Jones says at the end of it. Mark will go through his life thinking nobody likes him because he's a nerd, but it's not true. It's because he's an asshole. And Steve is an asshole too. (laughs) Wait a minute now. I I like what you said there. Like Her line of dialogue is, it's not that you're an asshole, you try so hard to be. And I just want to point out that, like, that is true. He tries so hard to be this big asshole, and that's what costs him. Like, I don't know if the movie cops him, gives him a cop out so much as it. I mean, what, what's the actual final shot? Is he's literally refreshing the fucking screen for the girlfriend who called him? He was an asshole. It's like I don't know because that is like the loneliest ending I've ever seen, and not to mention with the small little um, uh, word words up on screen giving you how much money Facebook's worth. Oh alone in a boardroom yeah I, I love that so much we go through so often mark doesn't care about mark, mark doesn't care about anything and at the end it's showing facebook is worth whatever 45 million or billion i don't know and i, I thought like he doesn't he doesn't give a shit i genuinely believe mark cares more about power than money the same way i believe steve jobs cared more about um respect and how he is viewed in the community than Correct. money. both made more money than god and it didn't matter to him and then more importantly is Steve Jobs. I mean, I, I don't know if he could ever be redeemed. I mean, that, the movie doesn't redeem him so much as it humanizes him with that final. Once again, the final shot is he's walking towards what? Well, he's walking towards us. The lights are, are flashing. Everyone's taking pictures. But he's supposed to be walking towards his daughter. And um, as far as anyone knows, there's not much to be known about his relationship with his daughter. So, like, the movie tries to more or less humanize them and give them more of the logic about their choices than it does trying to cop out or just say oh you know they were hey you know but look what we got i don't know if it's that easy i think aaron sorkin not being a lazy writer (laughs) or creator decided to just go ahead and and color in the gray like just do the gray right if you try to to make him completely an asshole then you villainize him well life doesn't have villains that's not that's not very compelling for the story mark was not nearly as big of a villain at that time as he was now like i i I absolutely want there to be a social network too i think it would be so brilliant (laughs) but 
Yeah, at that time, all he had really done is made like a kind of annoying social media platform and he screwed over people that were close to him. So it was very easy for us to detach. Now that, you know, it's infecting the world in so many insidious ways, it becomes clearer uh, or whatever. Um, (laughs) I know. know. I'll try trying to thought of what I was trying to say in the beginning. (laughs) Um, There is one thing that I would like to touch on. There was a, there was a, a story someone said about how in film, like every time you have Hitler in a movie or something, he's so cartoonified because of just how evil he was as a person, just as far as like writing villains. And stuff. Rabbit? No, I'm talking about just anytime Hitler's portrayed in a movie or in media ever. It's always like this weird cartoonified, like super evil, just goofy, wacky way where he's basically a caricature of who he was. And it's, uh-huh. Like I mean, the that's whole what idea he's become is, in the popular unconscious. Yeah, just because like that is basically the closest thing that we have to like a real life James Bond villain, essentially <laughs> someone who came from nothing and rose up to try and like exterminate a race of humans. Like that's <laughs> you don't get much more Bond villain than that, honestly. What you're trying then, to say um, is uh, mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg is literally Hitler. <laughs> well, no, just when you uh, when you try to like the difficulty in writing villains, especially if they're like villains or antagonistic characters based on people that actually exist. And especially when they're the main focus, when it's not a villain as a secondary or adversarial character, but when it's a a character study, more or less at Steve jobs, especially character Mm -hmm. study, social network, less so. Yeah, correct. And that's the other thing we could talk about is the structure. One is definitely more of a character study. The other one's Mm. more of like the courtroom drama, which Aaron Sorkin kind of cut his teeth on with uh, a few good men, which that was military court, mm-hmm. but still the same thing. That that heavy back and forth where literally, you know, you're you're trying to one up the other person or get the the inside kind of on something, almost like a boxing match. I mean, mm-hmm. that iconic scene Jesse Eisenberg delivers probably his best performance he's ever given is when he says like you have the minimum percent or the minimum yes. yeah. amazing monologue is like prime ma like just salt bay all over that with aaron sorkin just he kills it he kills it and i mean that's that was one of the things sorry to uh, interrupt that i i thought was so that was like such a big striking difference between the movies i love um so much was we talked earlier danny boyle you meshed so well with sorkin's writing matching the pacing with the camera it, it was great and i felt david fincher um was such an interesting choice because it was kind of the opposite. David Fincher retained his very cool, detached camera style, a lot of uh, static angles or pans, a lot of just open scenery. So you had still that you could still feel the the fast pace of the dialogue, but everybody was giving a little bit slower. It was more deliberate. It was more you watching right there. And I think that was such a perfect example of it, of you just watching the rain hit the window you see Mark's face, you know, slowly turns as you have the minimum amount of attention. And so there's this great sense of space and atmosphere that Fincher brought to the script for Social Network that Danny uh, purposely and correctly didn't uh, give us as much with Steve Jobs. No, absolutely not. Because once again, it's all about Steve Jobs' perception of himself that Danny Boyle is trying to visually get across to us, which once again comes with projecting lines of dialogue when he's showing um, Jeff Daniels' character the uh, the card before the speech, before the first show, you know? And he you see the lines of dialogue by Bob Dylan and whomever, you know, that yep. now it's literally on the floor there and we're getting this kind of bird's eye view of it. And it's, it's so brilliantly done because – of course it would do that. You know, you, you don't just want to lazily kind of have your character do that. That's a Danny Boyle thing. Like, <laughs> why don't you just have two guys talking when I can do this, this, and this, and I can I can have fun with this. And the same thing when he um, is telling her, it's after his climactic talk with Jeff Daniels now. It's on the other side where he's telling him what he's going to do. This is why this next box is definitely going to fail because I'm going to sell the OS back to Apple. I'm back in control. And what does he do? It's like this iconic imagery is kind of flashing across the hallway they're in now and it's streaming down the hallway and it's why is it doing that because it's you're trying to get this epic scale that steve jobs had in his own mindset of like haha i'm definitely gonna do it yep but that's such a great uh uh point to make of that he had every idea he had what just like that scene where it had like the space shuttle launching off like that was him for every product in his mind he is 
taking humanity to the moon or he is giving them <laughs> blood on the tracks at the end of the day it's a you know it's consumer electronics um, but yeah he, <laughs> it, it was so deadly serious he cared about it so much and that was a, another thing that i i found so interesting the most striking difference between uh, the characters for me is that we see how much these products mean to steve even if they are you know more or less an avenue for his own egocentrism he very much cares that the you know mac can speak that it can do this that it can do these new things that he is an innovator he is not a follower so he puts all his care into it i never really understood why or if mark cared about facebook for facebook's sake it seemed yeah. you know, he like invents it as like people can talk on it who gives a show let's find a way to good to everybody and be cool and i don't want average like i never like he didn't seem to care about Facebook. I mean, it's because Mark really doesn't care about Facebook, but it was interesting to have somebody go through so much to sell and propagate a product that I never got the sense they cared about or believed in. Whereas with Steve Jobs, like you felt how he felt about everything. And you know, back to what you're saying about the next uh, boxing, you could feel his more or less detachment from the box. He wasn't excited about it the way he was the Mac or anything like that. He just didn't want to talk about it. He's like, let's get this over with because the underlying plan was it fails and he moves on. Yeah. And I'll actually stretch it one further is that that whole beginning, it actually opens up now with his relationship with his daughter growing. We see more of it, you know, where she lets him in on like, well, I had to wake up mom this morning things like, so now we're getting more into like what's going on with his relationship with his daughter and less so about the tech. Right. And then Waz shows up, he has a conversation with Waz and then he has the big showdown with um, Scully is, is Jeff Daniels character's name in the show. Yeah. And then he has a big showdown. Then he, you know, kind of says something to, to Kate Winslet and then boom, we're on to the next one where, Hey, now it's the Steve jobs. We all know and love, except once again, now what slowly starts to fade into the background is the tech launch, you know, the iMac now is definitely further into the background to where, you know, it's, we start hearing more about what his daughter is doing, like where is she at, you know, like, it's almost like it's this big boss battle that's imminent, you know, it's <laughs> that's true. coming, but we don't know. And then remember he keeps sending Kate Winslet's character out to go get her, go tell her this, that, and the third. And then finally, you know, Oh, remember that whole thing we set up where the lights, you know, oh, we're going to get a zero dark, you know, we're going to have the emergency lights cut off. Oh, wow. And he gives her a high five. But then what? It doesn't even fucking matter because now he's ready to hold up the launch of the iMac for his daughter, which he's talking to her on the roof in that car lot, which once again, he's so passionate about the tech. He's like, I'm going to put songs in your pocket. I'm going to put a thousand songs in your pocket. And I love that theme, by the way. Yeah, I do <laughs> I too. Like when he's talking with his daughter and he has a great line, I'm poorly made, you know, because yep. she confronts him about, you know, hey, that algorithm where you said, you know, what is it? 20 some percent um, could have been my dad. And, it's it's great because first off we know life doesn't work that way and that's why I know for a fact Aaron Sorkin is now just having complete creative license over Steve Jobs and his relationship with his daughter. But God damn it, once again we're not going to let anything get in the way of telling a good movie, uh, telling a good story, or good, like you know realistic shit. Be damned. This is a natural progression for a great story. And it's right. not Steve Jobs' real life. <laughs> sure. I, I like that. And I, I, you're right. I hadn't really picked up on that. But early on, it is very much all the, the real problems he's facing are about the product launch, or about the products themselves, the, the business, et cetera, et cetera. In the second one, he's pissed because he got fired. It's about the business. But you're right. It does shift focus to the good or bad of the iMac launch seem to affect him so much less than now the emotional stuff does. So there really is this natural point of growth uh you, you know who i wish could see steve jobs is steve jobs <laughs> he, yeah. he, maybe he could take something away from that yeah exactly sorry man go ahead i said he's watching it from heaven oh, <laughs> or hell yeah right <laughs> or purgatory i guess <laughs> or like yeah. reincarnated as a snake but you know what, Blake, that's actually a good way to kind of dovetail off into like how the movies do end. We touched on the, the last shot of each film and like how they end. And it is that truth. Like there is a bit of, I guess you could say, a redemption arc, like storytelling wise. I don't know if there's so much a redemption for Steve Jobs, but as far as like storytelling, like mechanism that we have to actually tell a story is the redemption arc. Okay, got it. Steve Jobs eventually comes to realize that the tech isn't everything. You know, it's great. He literally, I think he even says, like, my greatest creation was you or something like that to his daughter. Something along those lines. 
And then by the time we get to the end of social network, we see that it's actually been a downward progression <laughs> and showing that like Zuck has kind of been zucking his way past everyone, using everyone to get to what Facebook is now. He's been using everyone. He's been very quiet when he needs to be. He's not been very social. He hasn't been controlling. He's not been the most um, charismatic man in the room, but he owns the biggest portion of Facebook. He got what he wanted. And Wait, that's how he ends. That's what's a little bit interesting to me is that Steve Jobs, you get to, I don't want to say it's easier to tell, but the thing is that when that movie got made, Steve Jobs' entire story was told and done. He was dead, so Steve Jobs can contribute no more to the legacy of Steve Jobs. Social Network was made right still in the trenches of Facebook existing. It you know Obviously, it still exists. Yeah, like, There's so much more to the Mark story, so it unfortunately has to leave off right there in the middle. Right. Well, I was more trying to address the fact that like, storytelling-wise, one is about the technology and everything that we're seeing in the background becoming more about our human connection, our legacy as far as what we're doing. And instead, the social network pushes the fact that human interaction, actual human connection falls so far back and it becomes more about the invention. It becomes more about the tech. Right. By the end of the movie, it ends literally with a computer screen and like him being alone. So it, it cinematically, it, I love that they end on such opposite ends of this spectrum of genius or you know creativity whatever you want to call it i guess right yeah i I want to make a point like i don't know if you guys agree with me or not but like with steve jobs i i think he's like a lot more redeemable than zuckerberg like he seems more like a human in that movie than than zuckerberg yeah and like i feel like i'm on his side like throughout the movie like and when he does do like when he's like angry at was or like arguing people or just being a dickhead he Mm -hmm. like it feels like the movie is almost saying like oh that's just steve like something like that oh that's just how he acts (laughs) and and like with zuckerberg like i don't even find myself on his side i i find myself on like andrew garfield's side like most of the time as you should yeah like i feel like he's the person that you want to succeed like eduardo you're like you're wanting everything to happen, and like I guess with the Winklevoss twins, like maybe yeah. Zuckerberg's better than them, but like with Eduardo, like that's who like your main focus is on the movie, and and with like the whole entire thing with Steve Jobs and Waz, I think it's just more like friends bickering rather than like I I don't see like too much substance like in their arguing. It's just like nitty pity or nitpicky stuff. Where it's just like, I want you to say this just like to make me feel better. And then he's like, well, I don't want that to be associated with this product. Well, I think it's the nitpicky stuff that sits on the surface of very real, deep uh, relationship issues, especially Steve and Waz, especially because they started two guys in a garage. We all know the story, blah, 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 blah. And through this whole time, I mean, they don't just hint at it. They have Seth Rogen straight out yell it out. But you definitely get the sense that um, Steve really was not giving enough respect towards Waz or really any of the people that were working under him, no matter how much they were doing. Steve was very focused on Steve and the company, but more or less like how what he was bringing to it. And that obviously is going to cause tension. It's like, it seems like it's a a non-issue of like, I want you to respect these people say this thing like the practical aspect of it is small but the relational sort of circumference that it rings around i think is this much bigger problem and it is the heart of all of steve's issues with everybody is that the sense i get is that everybody comes after steve not not that he is incapable of caring about anybody but he can't care about anybody as much as himself and it bleeds into his relations people it bleeds into the products and it bleeds into the company somebody mentioned earlier like mark seems worse than steve and i 110 percent agree with that that's definitely true uh the thing with steve is and you see it in the movie a couple times where he and i had said it before he very much cares about these products and he, he does seem to care about the community he wants to help schools he wants to change the world but there's very much of I forget how the quote goes, but whatever. I I don't want to live in a world where somebody else makes the world a better place than I do, better than I do. Like 
He wants to do these things, but he wants to do these things. It is the Macintosh brought to you by Steve Jobs. It is Apple brought to you by Steve Jobs. It is the 21st century as built and brought to you by Steve Jobs. So there's always a sense of of ego on top of it. I think that's something that rubs everybody under him the wrong way. So all of it'll, everybody has that straw that's going to break their camel's back. And it's always going to be petty bullshit because it, it always is. Well, speaking to the petty bullshit, I feel like that's how people talk. That's what Aaron Sorkin can tap into so well is um, I don't know if it was Billy Wilder or um, like one of those really old screenwriters. I promise there's a quote I read from a while ago when I was still trying to get into writing. doesn't matter what it was. I was doing like a screenwriting class in college. And I remember they said like, no one actually ever says what they mean. Characters should not be stating everything they want and need through their dialogue, like immediately. It should not be when they get into a scene, they just say, well, I want this. No, that's not how people talk. We always use petty bullshit or we use something else to talk about something deeper, about right. how we're, our connection with somebody, you know? Nothing is ever about the thing. It's how it's about the thing. That's really what it is. What does this character want? Well, how are they going to go about getting it? They're emotionally or maybe, you know, physically, it's, you know, in other movies, obviously, you know, manipulating the people around them to mm-hmm. get they want and or need out of their life out of their job out of whatever and so like aaron sorkin does that in spades with both of these movies through each of the characters I oh, mean, yeah. you name them. and that's the thing but you know just to keep it between mark and steve jobs and everything like that like once again i have to reiterate mark being the quiet guy that he is you you do have a, a very cold detachment and that's where david fincher's directorial style fits in so well because he uses mm-hmm. it Blacks, you know, and like you said, he's got that that detached directorial style where he's not going to just give you an easy in. You're not just going to easily connect to people in his film. It's just not how it goes. You're not going to really figure out the motivations and intentions of the two detectives so much in Seven. You know, his, his movie that like pushed him there. Like you, you're not really going to get there yet. You know, not until that that ending, and then you're like, oh shit, <laughs> not the whole time. You know, it's really where it's been going, and that's kind of how he's been doing. That's exactly how David Fincher does it. And it fits so perfectly for the story of people who are trying to connect digitally, you know, via social media instead of actually to person. So there is no warmth. There's nobody that you can cling to and be like, I can relate to this person. I honestly, it's like just watching these guys with their petty bullshit. I mean, who the fuck does that to someone who they are even mildly friends with, like fucks him over and liquidates all his shares and then you can, once again, talk about great scenes in a movie. Social Network has at least two of them. There's that scene, you know, you have minimum amount of percent, and Andrew Garfield gets his day in the sun with that great scene where he confronts him. Oh, oh when he's walking through the glass oh. door. Oh, I love that so much. You know, Mark, and he's yelling, and he goes on, and he says, sorry, I left him at the cleaners along with my fuck you flops. And, like, ah, oh, such a great <laughs> What does he say to um, Justin Timberlake's character, Sean Parker? He says, um, I like standing next to you, Sean. You make me make so tough. tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was. Oh, I, th- that scene never fails to put a smile on my face. That's what I'm saying. Like that's that's such a a great human moment of such high emotion in a film that's literally been devoid of it up until. Yeah. Like, it's been so cold, and then Andrew Garfield literally just runs through like a fucking like a tire fire. Just just smoke fills the room. He's just ready to fucking burn it all down. Right. He's like better. Lawyer up, up, asshole. So I'm just coming for 16%. I'm coming for everything. And it's it's so great because, once again, going the opposite direction with Steve Jobs, emotions are always fucking high. The movie opens and he's um, – help me out. What's the guy that um, – glasses um, – you said his name. Uh, Andy Hertzfeld. Hertzfeld. He's literally fucking letting Hertzfeld know he's going to ruin his life yep. if he does not get the this. The computer doesn't talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, emotions are high, dude, high. And then obviously we meet the, uh, the, the 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 baby mama drama and we introduce to his daughter and everything like that. And he says, you know, it was a coincidence that that horrible fucking line. Like, that oh, horrible, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the stands for this. And then, of course, it pays off at the end. He said, this doesn't mean anything. You know, Lisa doesn't mean anything. All those, that word doesn't mean anything. Just, of course, maybe, it would mean that to you. Maybe it's Michael Fassbender's acting. But like I believed him during that, and then even yeah. when I found yeah. out he was lying, I was like, "Oh, it's okay." 
Like, <laughs> I felt like I was on Team Steve Jobs the whole entire time. And like anybody that had a problem with, and I'm not even like an Apple fanboy. And like if anybody had a problem with them, it was just like, oh, they just can't handle Steve. <laughs> no, no, I actually I love so much that you said that because it lets me hammer this point home only further of that's how that's how I think he saw his outburst he saw it as anybody that can't handle what I'm doing that can't keep up with me it's their fault because they're not keeping up with the genius they are the Mike Love to me who's Brian Wilson you know like you said, um, he's like, why do you, why do you want people to dislike you so much? He says, it's not, it's not that. Is I'm indifferent to whether they like, yes. they like me or not. That's his retort. That's that, immediately yep. back to him. And it's the thing. It's like he doesn't care. He only wants what he wants. Can you help me get it? If not, fuck you. Yep. All right, moving on. And that's it. That's the bottom line. That's and the only yet, thing and yet, just like Matt said. We can't help at times rooting for him. Matt was apparently rooting for him the whole time. Something's wrong with Matt. We'll talk about that later. But for the rest of us, we root for him in those last 10 minutes where he makes up with his daughter. Yeah, man. It's, it's... No, I mean, I don't, <laughs> like, if, you, if you compare what Steve Jobs does throughout the movie to what like uh, Zuckerberg does throughout his movie, what Steve Jobs does is like nothing compared to what he did. So right. Zuckerberg's much more insidious. Yes, yeah. very much so. And like Absolutely. and it's like like just how like the movie is. Like maybe if it was like similar situations to what Zuckerberg went through, then we would think Steve Jobs is bad. But just like how he is in the movie, he just seems like a larger than life guy that like everybody's just like trying to survive like every time they talk to him <laughs> hey, can we talk about uh kate winslet and her accent yeah i'm so glad that uh she decided to just kind of give it up by the third act but also it makes sense to be fair to be fair if she had been living in america for that many years oh clear, right the accent would have oh failed oh my goodness i think and you blew my mind well, that also, and she had been living in America um, for a while. I think she, I tried to look up whoever I could, and now I can't even remember her name. But um, uh, she came to America, I think, when she was like a, a teenager, like a late teenager or something like that. It was in like the late 60s she came over with her mom. So she had definitely been living here. So the accent is more muted. But the thing about Kate Winslet is like, even when you put aside... Um, the accent like rising or falling if it does not like for me personally it didn't matter she inhabited the character so much that i complete i w i kept forgetting like it's kate winslet like it comes at the end i'm like oh shit that's right that wasn't just like steve jobs right hand woman that they got here for the movie that was an actress shit no, yeah absolutely right oh but um, what was I going to say? Kate Winslet's character, I, I can't speak too much to the accent change and things like that, except for that cop-out. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that it is, because we don't know if maybe she just gave up on it or wasn't very good at it. <laughs> but I, I, I just remember the first time I watched it, it confused me. But like, maybe you have a point. I remember you said that. Well, I mean, that also could have been like the first thing that they filmed. That's true. Right. They do yeah, because they don't always shoot in sequence. Nope, they don't. I mean, there is that. Could have still been like figuring out the accent or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I will say that her character, once again, provides almost like a, I want to say like a ballast, almost like, um, um, what is that word for, um, if you guys know what I'm talking about, if you, if you ever see, um, the, the, the actual Notre Dame in France, um, yeah, I think that would be a ballast or a counterweight. Yeah. And that's what she is. She holds it up for him. Like he's all over the place domineering to everyone and her character is there almost to like rein him in and give him that balance basically to humanize him much more because she's the one who kind of has to take the daughter out of the room in the beginning right and she kind of says to him like you you need to get on your shit dude like yeah, that little she, girl she's the one that can yell at him and give him shit and he right. isn't about to fire her over it right and the only reason i bring that up is because there's no one like that in the social network <laughs> <laughs> actually a fucking desert of like corpses of like people who just have socially or like you know like like i said just fictionally like died just in the barren wasteland of 
Mark Zuckerberg's fucking <laughs> no one can hang with him, right? Like what does Rooney Mara's character say? Like trying to talk to you is like what? Trying to do oh, something. Oh yes, um Stairmaster says talking to you is like being on a stairmaster. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god. Yeah, people just surrender to it. They're just like, fuck it, never mind, kill me now. I don't want to be here anymore. And they don't. They don't want to be around him, dude. They just can't. And that's the beauty of it is at least someone could kind of tolerate Steve Jobs, like you were saying, Matt. You know, the movie does a good job of giving you that where you, you can kind of root for him, <laughs> even though you're pretty sure he's fucked plenty of people over. Perfect because um, I wanted to say this earlier, but we sort of lost track. When you were talking about how, especially in Sorkin movies, people communicate their larger feelings by discussing like the petty bullshit underneath it, and they do that, Steve Jobs, but you get the one moment where Kate Winslet's character pushes all that aside and says exactly what's wrong. He he asks her, like, what's the matter? And she goes, What's been the matter for the past 20 years? You need to make it right with Lisa. That is what's bothering me right now. And that's what's uh, it's always been bothering me. It's what puts a hole in my stomach is how you have been treating your daughter. And she uh, yeah, and she oh, just lays it out perfectly yells at them and is like that that's it. On the floor. Yes. <laughs> like, Fix it, Steve. It. Fix it, Steve. Yes. <laughs> Oh, good, man. So, and then we get that great um, silent cut. You know what I mean? Like he's just kind of contemplating. He's looking at shit after he picked it all up. And he's looking and he's like thinking of his daughter and things like that. It's so fucking. And then once again, that buildup. It's literally like I, I equate it to if you guys watched any Rocky movie ever. It's always the buildup to the actual start of the fight. And that's what it is to me is until he finally gets that showdown with his daughter in the hallway and he tries to tell her, you know, look, of course I was going to pay for your tuition. I don't know why you thought that. And she tells him, and then she gives him that great shit where it's like, you know, Bob Dylan, all this stuff. And she's like, think differently. It's an adverb. It's all over it. And then leaves and then exits. <laughs> so good. So good, man. So, uh, do we have any other like major topics we want to focus on before we end this and like vote on which movie? Um, there is like two things that I kind of want to just mention the real life Zuckerberg and, um, Steve jobs thing that I think are, these are both things. I guess one of them is something that I guess happened like well after the social network came out, but I think it's just an interesting thing on the psychological study of Zuckerberg. But for Steve jobs, it's interesting to look at. He, in a lot of ways, he does kind of seem like this, this, um, this, like Harold Hill trickster, like medicine man where he's, he doesn't know how to code, but he can guarantee that these things will work and deliver all of this, this weird, this weird tech stuff that he doesn't know how to do. And then to the point where the company fires him as a CEO, and then they go back to him and basically don't know how to make the company work without him. And so they they bring him back, which always seemed kind of weird to me. Like he's he's definitely has to have some kind of spark to him if some kind of magic sauce, if you will, like the Michael Jordan special drink that he gives Bugs Bunny in Space Jam. Yeah, but like what is that? Yeah. Didn't you finish the movie? Huh? I said that was just water, Zach. Didn't you finish the movie? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I left after that part. It's just the, the realism of Space Jam lost me. Jobs did have, I, I, I'll give a lot of shit to Jobs. I'll try and explain it a little bit, but he does have mm. a, a special something in that he, he does have a, a knack for marketing, a knack for understanding what people may want or how to get them things that they don't know they want. Um, yeah, and more importantly, exactly is he had a religious devotion to the concept of innovation for innovation's sake. Like I said earlier, he truly believes himself to be an artist. He sees himself as Bob Dylan. He sees himself as Lou Reed. He, this is his music that he's putting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what was I saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have fun in the editing room, Zach. <laughs> <Bullshit>. <laughs> no, I mean this is a this um, is a decent episode. Oh, but yeah, so he had so when they they lost him, he's such a, a chaotic figure that yeah, he was having a lot of problems in that. Like it might have been the right move uh, from a logical point of view to let him go, but then sure enough, you didn't have anybody there that was like, "Well, we got to do crazy shit." Everyone's like, "All right, well, 
keep with the Apple II and do all that stuff, which had good monetary value. But like I said earlier, Steve Jobs wasn't all about the money, except for if the money can prove he was right to people that said he was wrong, as it inevitably did. <laughs> so when they bring him back on, he's immediately like, all right, well, let's do new shit. And I don't know if about Apple to say what all the new stuff besides the iMac was, and then obviously you know the iPod and the iPhone and stuff like that. But he was this big ideas marketing guy's obsessed with aesthetics, and he not only you know was able to keep his thumb on the pulse of the aesthetic changes through the '90s and 2000s, but he uh, influenced them. So much of design and architecture that we have going on around now can be traced directly back to a lot of those late '90s, early to mid 2000s Apple products, which is pretty crazy like he did loathe as i am to admit it he had a very real cultural effect but at the end of the day i can't help seeing him as more of an advertiser than an artist if anything mark zuckerberg is kind of the artist he's the person that can actually make these things but again doesn't really care about them <laughs> i'd say more of an architect than artist that's for, fair for because he can definitely build something. It can be stable. It can do this. But I don't know if there's much creativity, so much TV. Nobody wants to call Facebook art. art. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, so anything can be art. Gave people a platform to go ahead and express themselves in a different way, which was the big innovative thing. But I will say this also as far as the filmmaking between the two uh, movies. One does have – we have to go ahead and say it right now. Miles above the other. Miles above Steve Jobs is the Social Network's amazing score by Trent Reznor. Oh, my God, Yes. Hand Covers Bruise is such an iconic, just beautiful song. That's why he won the Academy Award that year, because you couldn't deny the impact. It was it's so so perfectly encapsulated the sense of emotion underlying, as you put it, insidiousness of the film. Like everyone's trying to do something and manipulate someone else throughout the film. So that song when it cuts on with those weird strings just kind of plucking away like da 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 and then the piano the sad piano chord hits in you know you're dun 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 and like that but then that loud ass or i'm sorry that that creepy ass little like sub bass so it just gets like yeah it's distorted as well and it's just like you can't deny it dude just give him all the awards because i mean the music had a place in the dialogue like i there have there would be these moments where somebody looks at other and that that synthesizer coming in, that would underpin. You'd have that the little solo piano piece that would come in and out. Like it wasn't just to create atmosphere. It wasn't just to take up space. Trent Reznor was more or less a little bit a part of the cast and Atticus Ross, a part of the cast because the this synthesizer, these pianos, these drums were talking with the characters and giving you a little bit of what the characters are actually saying or that something's coming, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so Trent, Trent Reznor was also did he also do the score for the girl with the dragon tattoo? He did. Yes. Okay, I I feel like the score works better in that movie than the Social Network. Not what? to say that. What? No, that's not the movie on trial here. I, I know. I know. I, I, was, I recently watched that movie, and I feel like that movie works like a lot better in that movie. It's than different. The girl with the dragon yeah. tattoo. No, I mean, it's fine in the social network, but I think it's more noticeable. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I'm not part of the Academy or anything that gave it uh, that score. Well, anyway, I'm saying how music influences the storytelling and the overall oh, yeah, impact of the movie. I have to admit, in Steve Jobs, there's not even a score that I can remember. There's no, no. notes or nothing that I can actually point to to say, oh, wow, that score really elevated this scene or did this, or as Blake put it, kind of, became a character in and of itself in the film. It's more about, you know, once again, nothing trumps Steve Jobs in that film. So I bet it was more of an artistic choice than anything on behalf of the production, not just, you know, Danny Boyle. I don't want to give mm-hmm. the director all the credit, but <laughs> I do want to say, like, I do feel like it was a it was a good choice not to have a score that kind of superseded anything. They yeah, used it's very more- much, it helped set atmosphere and take up space the way a lot of scores do, and for the better, because otherwise it can get in the way of things. Uh, yes. I think uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor's score for The Social Network, David Fincher gained to supervise its placement, was inspired. It's one of those things that it doesn't happen too terribly often, and when it does, it's mwah. Yeah. And it's exactly what it was. It was perfect. Salt Bay all over that again. Just Salt Bay all day. So, <laughs> okay. Blake. So, oh, sorry. Keep do you going. have any, like, uh, do you have any points that you need to make before we close out this show and make our decision? Yeah. Um, the one other thing that I... 
sorry, you go, Blake. No, 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 no please, you, you go. Um, so the other like real life Mark Zuckerberg thing that I wanted to talk about as just a weird psychological study was, do you guys remember, I think it was after like Hurricane Irma or something when he did like this weird live stream of him <laughs> with like an animatronic, it was oh! like a, an AI thing, but it was like him and That's I think familiar. one of the Facebook developers and they were like, look at this. And they were on like, Google maps or Google, yeah, oh! Google maps in like the middle of hurricane wrecked puerto rico and we're like look at the technology of facebook what we can do with these emotionless avatars moving around in front of a flooded city as a marketing ploy oh god i love it i still remember that it was so cringy i was like oh yeah once again just showing us that you are completely detached from right experience Do you remember his like barbecue live stream that he did once? Oh yeah, where he's like talking about how he makes ribs. Yeah, yeah. he's like, "Oh, that smoked meat," and it was just like most like tough thing to watch, just because he had no personality and he was just <laughs> trying to interact with everybody. Just type in Mark Zuckerberg barbecue and then get ready for five minutes of cringe and smoking <laughs> meats. And it, I, it just sounded like he tried to sound like a guy, like a man's man that knows how to like smoke meat. <laughs> Matt, not not the same. What? Did you not learn anything from the movie? If you're on here, you're going to make fun of him, especially how he is towards people. And things are just going to get worse. Every time somebody in the movie said some side-eye shit to him, he went and raised cities. If you're talking to him this way, Facebook's only going to get worse now, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, now we're going to have to pay to I'm use sorry. Facebook, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, you asked if there are any points that I wanted to make. There, there are two ones I, I just I, I think are worth briefly touching on. And one, mm-hmm. if, you, if you'd allow me to step outside uh, a little bit for a minute, is this is a, a movie podcast. We're talking about movies, but one of the difficult things um, with this discussion, and I'm sure it'll come up again with other biopics, is that we fall into having to talk about like the real people in a way, if we were discussing Chinatown, we wouldn't have to be discussing a bunch of real people, maybe right. Roman Polanski, um, but you <laughs> would get to really settle into the movie. But when we're talking here, uh, you know, at least a third of this podcast is going to be us just talking about the real life, uh, Mark right. and Steve, which is its own interesting challenge. Um, I want to say in a positive way for, uh, film discussion, any sort of art discussion when there's a real life counterpart that doesn't play into the art as directly, mm-hmm. it becomes an interesting kind of thing. Uh, I don't have too much to say on that, but I just wanted to put a stake in that ground. And oh, then yeah, definitely. Secondary, one thing I do want to talk about is the, uh, the this, I think we'll have a little bit more discussion to it, is the production design. Because uh, on one hand, you have Steve Jobs, and maybe you guys read about this, I know it was kind of part of the promotional thing to it, but each of those three parts was shot on different, put film stock in quotations. The first part was shot on 16 millimeter. Second one was on 35. And then in the last one in 98, they were using uh, digital. And you can really see That's that. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I yeah. think there was a lot of attention paid to getting that feel of the time, the, the clothes they wear, the colors you see, the, the general cinematography of the thing. Whereas for me personally, maybe you guys don't agree with this, Social Network felt so much more 2010 than like 2003 or four, whenever it was set. Like the yeah. clothes were right, but they were all more uh, like uh, we were all around back then. We remember how fucking ridiculous everybody looked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody looked much cooler and sharper in Social Network than the early 2000s really were, and, um, and it plays in. It's a, the very cool tones that David Fincher likes to work with, and it very much you kind of have to keep reminding yourself like, Oh, this is the very early two thousands. Like all you have is just like flip phone, cell phones that remind you. Yeah. yeah. That is, that's a really good point, Blake. Cause you could definitely see that as far as costumes were concerned, I don't think David Fincher really wanted anything too distracting. He yeah. wanted you to paying attention, but also more importantly is I don't think he could afford to do too much as far as like having all the it. Ugg boots you would have to buy for that. Yeah. <laughs> No, more importantly is, I mean, literally storytelling-wise. So money-wise, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they did have Creatively, <laughs> you don't want to be too focused on the fashion of the time or having right. people be nostalgic about what they were wearing at that time. You want them to focus on what it is that you're trying to tell, what it is that you're trying to get across to them for these characters. And so I think that's why you saw them kind of do away with trying to do any kind of callbacks visually as far as 
you know, even like the tech at the time, like I don't, I don't really think you see much of it unless no. I don't know. They're saying they're saying from the computer, which by the way, the movie's about social network, and you barely see anyone actually like putting code up in like a box up in the screen. You don't really see too much of coding. You see a lot of talk about coding, but you don't see it. Why? Because that's that's gonna oh, get us away from the actual intention <laughs> you of don't the remember movie. The, the drinking coding scene where like well, I mean, you, you like see it, code and then you take a shot. That was impressive. <laughs> but you don't see like Python code or you know um, what else? Uh, fucking. Java or JavaScript, you don't see any of that. All well, that's that all proprietary. All that nerd talk. Yeah, that's what I mean, like they don't visually show you what it is. They just leave that. They leave it up there. I mean, they they leave yeah, it. Out I mean, there. I feel like they don't necessarily need to for like Correct. how that is. I mean, based on my knowledge of coding. Well, that's what I mean. They don't want to bog you down with those kind right. of. Minute but no, details. that's that's actually a, a great point. Is that it? It's this unnecessary thing we were able to get back on because this story could more or less take place in. in any time, so to speak. We know when it takes place, so we know how it works, uh, but the general basics of the story, whereas with Steve Jobs, so much of Steve Jobs and Apple and what he brought to Apple was all design, so it works better in that movie where you do take, you have the production design take more of a, a front seat on. It's a character study, but so much of Steve Jobs' character was fucking uh, bezeled edges and off-white colors and all that kind of stuff. Like, design yeah. was his life, so having that featured in the movie, uh, does actually, you're right, makes more sense in Steve Jobs than in Social Network, where it's unimportant because Mark doesn't really care about design. And not even that, I don't think Steve Jobs, I don't think Steve Jobs, the film, I don't think it has any point in time where it tells you the year that it takes place. I think characters mention it. I think you visually... I think they do it before every major scene, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if they do or not, but either way, I think the choices that they made with the camera and with characters and what they wear and things like that, it once again, it places you in there so well because you need to understand the cultural significance, as you were pointing out, Blake, that Steve Jobs thinks he has. <laughs> You're literally inside, visually, his his own perception of everything. So yes. it needs to have that kind of like, at the time when the first part of the film takes place, you want that style of camera. Why? Because that's kind of probably what the tech was at at the time. That's what Steve mm-hmm. wanted. That's what he would use and so on and so forth. And it just works well when you have like all cylinders firing, man. When you're just like, let's try to encapsulate this just maniacal kind of just <laughs> drive <laughs> to be so influential. And this is what it would have been. So okay, down, guys. Are, are, we, are we ready to make a pick? <laughs> yeah. Ready for yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Who wants to go first? Blake, you better do it, man. You're the new man. Do okay, it. so I'm, I'm picking what my favorite is? Yeah, you have to pick one or the other. Gun to your head, go. Okay, uh, Social Network, without a doubt, is my favorite of the two, uh, which is funny because I feel like I actually spent more time talking about Steve Jobs, and I love Steve Jobs. That this is actually so much closer than I thought it was going to be because I went in, like, I definitely like Social Network better. Steve Jobs is good, but it's not Social Network. Rewatched them both, like, back-to-back uh, a couple days ago. I was like, wow. That's actually way – the gap is way closer than I would have thought it was between the two, but Social Network still comes out on top for me. Okay. Um, I don't think Matt is going to be surprised that I'm going to pick Steve Jobs. I've watched that movie at least like a couple times a year. It's like one of my movies now that I put on when I feel like I want to watch something or listen to something. Let's be honest. Listen to something with much more dialogue and like, mm-hmm. you know, like just have really good um, writing just seep its way into my ear holes. And so that's why I, I have to go ahead and give it that edge because I feel like it has much crisper, sharper characterization via dialogue than social network does. And that's no fault of, I guess, the creators or like, you know, Aaron Sorkin's writing as far as social network is concerned, but it has more to do with the type of characters. As you said, like, I want to be more emotionally involved in what's going on. Right. And so it's my own personal choice to, mm-hmm. like, I have to admit, like, I like Steve Jobs more because of that. But, you know, that's it. All right, and now for the tiebreaker, Matt Smith. Yes. Okay. This is like a really easy decision for me. Steve Jobs. <laughs> You're going oh. to Steve? Okay. Steve Jobs. I, I love that movie. I, I saw it in theaters with Will, like back in October. <laughs> and I, I just remember, I, I remember like feeling like inspired after I watched that movie. Just like oh wow, it 
it was like more the fact like wait a minute steve jobs doesn't know how to do any of this stuff but yet <laughs> maybe, maybe there's hope for like me yeah that's pretty much oh, how it was. and then ironically enough i remember well kind of ironic i remember like trying to figure out something to say about the movie on facebook and then <laughs> i just couldn't i just couldn't come up with anything so i decided not to post anything so I'll, I'll forever <laughs> not remember the exact date I watched Steve Jobs because <laughs> I don't have that Facebook timeline memory. Oh, my God. Oh, that's good. Speaking Steve of the Jobs, irony of Facebook yeah, there. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, like I was taking, when I was taking notes on um, Steve Jobs, and I kept just putting in, like, he's a dick for this. He's an asshole for this. And I literally wrote, like, also, I, I do see the irony and feel like kind of a dick of talking so much shit about Steve Jobs on this iPhone right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually don't have an iPhone, and I, I'm, but you do, Blake, and I believe you do too, Will. Well, Matt, you used to have an iPhone. Yeah, you were I iPhone for first. a long time. Yeah. For like yeah. two years. Then he saw Steve oh. Jobs and was like, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> threw it away. No more no, beveled I, I, edges. No, I just thought God. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. So this was good, man. Yeah. All right. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us on The Great Movie Showdown. We had Steve Jobs versus The Social Network, and it looks like Steve Jobs came up on top, Woo! knocking Facebook off its block. <laughs> so uh, let's give it up for, our, for William Goodnow, Matt Smith, and our special guest, Blake Smith. No the relation there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. With Disney or Pixar, he will be yeah. a frequent guest star. Hooray! Yeah, I had such a good time on this, so I I greatly look forward to that. Especially yeah, William, when we eventually get to Inherent Vice. Ooh, it's coming! Oh. It's coming! Oh, we I'm gonna kick the show down Inherent Vice. Yeah, we should just make oh. it like this is the movie. Blake and Will just go at each other. Blake at that. I just want to give this as like a little thing. You know, mm-hmm. I gotta say this. This is how bad I want to beat and shit out Inherent Vice. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually gonna try to watch it again and suffer my way through it. I'm ready to kick his ass. <laughs> so uh, here's the movies that I'm excited about. I'm excited to do E.T. versus Mac and Me. Oh. <laughs> Batteries not included? That's messed up, man. Well, no, because Mac and Me is basically E.T. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. But, like, done, not as good. So funny. Okay. <laughs> Batteries Not Included is a great movie, and you should check that out. And also, I guess, Steve Jobs and The Social Network. Weird, <laughs> weird plug. Netflix, last time I checked. All right. They were both on Netflix the last time Matt checked. Anyway, uh, this like- has been the... Uh, the Great Movie Showdown. I'm your host, Zach Twitty. Thank you, and good night. This has been a Nice Throw production. Nice throw, Matt. <laughs>